question the voices of res and I hear Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Skidmore, and I'd like to share with you SPE Certificate in Leadership. In this program, participants learn about essential leadership and management principles, such as organizational culture, financial intelligence, strategic planning, innovation, and more. They learn how to apply strategies and tools to their team, their department, and organization. This program is unique because participants will be learning alongside a cohort of other folks within the plastics industry through this virtual offering. I invite you to visit 4SPE.org to learn more about the certificate in leadership and to apply for an upcoming cohort. Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Hi, Mercedes. Well, hello, Lindsay. It's so nice to see you. Look at, we're even kind of rocking the same like curly reddish hair. A little today. bit. Yeah. You, I feel like you're looking a little bit like more on fleek than me today. Is, are we, are the kids still saying that? So the kids no, that saying? is, that is part of me showing that I am not on fleek. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, I, you know, I did invest in my springy my springy get up today. We're just trying to channel that energy because it snowed yesterday and I am angry about it Yeah, because I just planted all my plants. Yeah. It was 80 in Chicago the other day. And then on Monday it was, it was snowing as well. The it's disrespect. Not cool. Honestly, honestly. Yeah. Well, um, I'm Lindsay Neville. <laughs> I'm Mercedes Landazri. And with our powers combined, we are the voices of resin (laughs) we are here uh our podcast released the first friday of every month uh and then typically two weeks later i was gonna say two months later you get the youtube version so you can see us in action um with these sweet sweet interviews (laughs) and you can find us on social media anywhere that you google plash chicks You'll find us. We're there. You'll find us. us. If you can't find Uh, us, that feels more like a user error than anything. It's not Plastichicks. It's just Plastichicks. But we do respond to both names. We do. Because we're kind like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So today with us, um, we have a very special guest. Um, We would, uh, joining us from uh, my uh, origin time, uh, Pacific (laughs) time. Um, and uh, so we'd like to introduce uh, Rashad Islam. He is head of product integrity at Lyft. Rashad, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hello, Mercedes. Hello, Lindsay. Um, it's 9 a.m. here, um, bright and sunny. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful lunch in East Coast. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. So, uh, Rashad, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Lyft, um, you know, kind of your bio, your background. Yeah, so I, I'm Rafiad Islam. Uh, originally, I'm from Bangladesh, but like last uh, almost 19 years, I'm in the United States. I came in United States in 2004 uh, and finished my doctoral degree in University of Texas at Arlington. And then right after my graduation, I came to Silicon Valley. Um, I took up a, a startup a, a company and joined as a senior materials developer. And then uh, the journey begins from there. Um, worked in a few different companies uh, like Lumilids, uh, that was a Philips at the time, and then also 
worked in Amazon Lab 126. Google was my the longest tenure of almost eight years. And then last year in February, I joined <clears throat> Lyft TVS. We call it Transit Bikes and Scooter Division under Lyft. So it's not the ride sharing company, it's the bike sharing company. So uh, we do have uh, like bikes in the field uh, in New York, Chicago, um, San Francisco, Portland, and we have both classic bikes and electric bikes. We also have like docking stations and electric scooters as well in, in, in different markets like Denver and Chicago as well. So yeah, so currently I am um, heading the product integrity team at Lyft, uh, which involves end-to-end -end reliability, um, making sure that our product is uh, safer and it's it's like a comfortable to our riders. And one challenging thing is like, we make our product, we own it. So we have to make sure that the, we, we our product is sturdy uh, and it is not breaking while the user is riding. So um, that's what we want to make sure. We also have a very dedicated, like a hands-on field quality and failure analysis team in, in under the product integrity umbrella. And they looked into, uh, looked into like the post-launch field issues and then making sure that they are triage, they are, they have corrective actions and also work with the reliability team hands on hands to make sure that they, all the corrective actions are validated. Uh, and then the third leg of product integrity is definitely the lab team. So all we do is purely hands-on experimental work. So we develop new test items, we develop new test fixtures, we we create new internal standards, uh, making sure that they reflect, reflect the field usage model. Uh, and all our reliability team are very expertise, have expertise in understanding um, like field usage model and also do a field projection model based on the initial data we received. And the product integrity is a very critical part of the the product development team that goes hands in hand. So um, yeah, so that is a quick high level intro for my bio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rashad. So let's get a little more personal. You you studied materials and metallurgical engineering in Bangladesh for your bachelor's and master's. Um, and then as you said, you, you came to uh, the United States about 19 years ago. Uh, why, why Texas? Why Arlington? That's a very good question. Like, um, one thing I wanted to tell you, like um, from the very beginning, I had the engineering uh, degree in mind that I want to pursue. Um, so when I was finishing up my undergrad um, and after my undergrad, I received a scholarship from Arizona State University. So I was very pumped up and I was very happy to receive that. and. Unfortunately, um, that was right after 9-11. So the, there was lots of visa restrictions. So I could not come at that time. So what I did is I did not waste my time. So I, I joined the same university, which is called Bangladesh University of Engineering and Technology as a ad hoc lecturer. So my first career is actually an academician. <laughs> and then um, at the same time, I was finishing up my master's uh, from the same university. Then 
there was a like a wonderful collaboration opportunity came in with Hong Kong City University of Hong Kong. So I moved to Hong Kong for a couple of years. And at that time, that was the first time I was exposed to reliability. Uh, and uh, and that was a wonderful opportunity. I was doing um, like a lead-free soldering and also some conductive adhesive, which has some epoxy-based conductive adhesive. So I was learning all the techniques of interconnect technologies, um, learning all the techniques about lead-free soldering, how reliability works, what is aging, how metallurgy can chime into the light metals like tin zinc solder, in lead solder kind of things. Also trying to, uh, was uh, I was trying to learn about the, the polymers, epoxies, how how we can cure the epoxy in terms of using thermal or UV or microwave heat, something like that. So one time, uh, one day in uh, Hong Kong, I, I like in Hong Kong, we had, we used to work like uh, five and a half days in a week. So so Saturday is a half day for us. Uh, so in the afternoon, I was sitting and then I thought like, I want to pursue my goals. So uh, my passion was to somehow like work, like finish my PhD as soon as possible. So I actually wrote all my graduate advisors um, that I want to come for my PhD. And so like all my previous uh, uh, graduate advisor that I used to work with before, uh, after my graduation in undergrad. So uh, only like few of them replied. And then the Texas, University of Texas at Arlington, uh, I had a like, a, like the graduate advisor was very kind to me. And then he said like, if you come here, I will ensure you um, funding and making sure that you have a good life here. And we have some exciting new um, faculties joining in 2004 fall. So um, there might be some good opportunity for you, which aligns with your background. And he mentioned one of the faculty named Shashan Priya, uh, who, who is uh, actually joining from Penn State University. And uh, love that. <laughs> yeah, Penn State University. And his background also ceramics, so I was doing my master's in ceramics. So um, that that's the main motivation for me to come to uh, Texas. Also, my brother used to live in Austin, so uh, that was another uh, like a secondary motivation, you can say. But like I tried to go different places, like Arizona, Maryland, nothing happened. But uh, finally, the Texas Arlington was my destination. And is your is your brother an engineer as well? Yes. So my father, my brother, all are engineers, but like both of them are civil engineers. Uh, actually, my family is full of civil engineers. <laughs> my, uh, so you were the rebellious one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So exactly. So um, so my father was a um, like a water resource irrigation civil engineering, and then uh, my brother is a transportation engineer in Austin right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I love. You know, I love how sometimes the best laid plans, you know, thinking you're coming to Arizona, that's the plan. And now all of a sudden you end up in Texas and that's kind of launched you on the trajectory that it has, as opposed to, you know, if you were at Arizona years earlier, what would that have made your career path out to be? I think some of those stories end up being the most interesting results. <laughs> yeah. When I went to Hong Kong, I didn't have a 
very clear idea why I came to Hong Kong. <laughs> but when I look back now, I have exactly the why I went to Hong Kong because that was the first exposure to reliability and I had built my career around the reliability engineering quality. And so that gave me a wonderful, uh, like a foundation of my career, actually. And you had, you had studied um, initially metallurgical engineering, ceramics, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have you on the Plastics podcast, so we know that you love plastic. Having your fingers crossed, hopefully he does business about plastics, right? Yeah. So, so how did you transition from uh, metallurgical engineer into a plastics engineer? Yeah. So, like, uh, as a as a material science and engineering student, we had to study everything, right? So, metals, ceramics, polymer, composites, etc. I do see like very similarities in terms of studying, like like a structure of the materials, properties of the materials. Um, we we studied different types of polymers in 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 my undergrad and also a little bit on the uh, on and during the master's side. But I never had a clear opportunity to study like or work for polymers. Like a little bit here and there. Uh, also also like kind of an applied side of the polymer technology. Mostly when I was working on a system level, we we used to work like, a, we used to test like an impact properties of different devices such as Nest Thermostat, uh, Kindle e-readers, which also have a lot of plastics, but we I used to analyze like, why did it fail? Um, but um, when it was, it was back in 2016, when this opportunity came in, in I was working for a Nest Learning Thermostat. It's a cheaper version of the Nest Learning Thermostat. So it is more like a, a plasticky product. At the time, the opportunity came in like, hey, we want to use recycled plastics. I said, okay, um, what is that actually? So I started digging up, studying a little bit more and trying to understand like how recycled plastics were made. I joined the project at this at a, a very critical time where all the hardware group is not so super optimistic about recycled plastics. So the initial misconception was uh, recycled plastics is inferior to the virgin in terms of mechanical properties. So I thought like, okay, I'm like let me take a very neutral stand on here. So I took a little bit of time trying to understand why there is a notion about recycled plastics being inferior to the virgin plastic. So I started designing my experiment experiment, uh, and doing an apples to apples comparison, trying to understand what is the injection molding, trying to understand what are the molding parameters that really affect the properties of the polymer and also like what are the post molding processing technology that also affects the properties of the polymer. So then it comes all the secondary processing like painting, um, like um, environmental stress cracking, all those things come out. But I could, like, I took like almost six months, but after the six months of study, I could literally show the whole Google hardware team. If you, if you're doing your processing right, if you're comparing your, comparing Virgin and the PCR in terms of right combination, there should not be any difference in mechanical properties between the virgin and the PCR-based polycarbonates. So I was mainly focusing on the polycarbonate. So, uh, so, so that was the, that was the breakthrough in my career and my, like, as I have passion for sustainability from the very beginning, this was actually opened a wide window for me to go work for 
polymers and plastics as well. Uh, and from then, like I always had a like a side project, and then at the same time, Google also wanted to implement recycled plastics into their products at least fifty percent for until uh, within twenty twenty five. So that my research and my effort was very helpful, uh, trying to convince the hardware team that um, it is okay uh, to use recycled polycarbonates into the enclosure materials. Um, later, we also used the recycled polycarbonates into the like the AC adapter enclosure, which has high requirement from UL and everything. Mm -hmm. So that was that was great, uh, I would say, uh, and that was the beginning of my like full-fledged as a plastic engineer working uh, to make the plastics uh, like come into the world of consumer electronics. And I then- uh, Your addiction to plastic is absolutely, what we- <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And I, while I was doing like the next five years, I, I was heavily involved in like a bioplastics, bioadhesives, um, like recycled polycarbonates um, and everything that, that could go into the into the product. And then when I see the opportunity at Lyft, I, I thought like this is a sustainable transportation, uh, which actually uh, is working to reduce the carbon emission. Uh, why not I go there, try to implement recycled plastic if they haven't, not yet. So that's that's where the biggest motivation of my, uh, my addiction to the plastics brought me into the into Lyft. I, I have to say, I am a little bit starstruck right now because <laughs> I gave I gave a trend presentation yesterday to to a customer, and in that presentation, I actually included the new Google Nest Wi-Fi router um, in this this the the high gloss with the soft tones that is now sixty percent recycled plastic, and it sounds like Rashad, we have you to thank for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was um, my two of my projects used the first recycled plastics in in Google Nest at the time. I love it. Well, and I think, you know, I've I've been in the injection molding industry for a hot minute. Um, and I was kind of around, at least in my opinion, when a lot of people were trying to use, you know, the uh, recycled material into products and you know, I, the same feedback was always, you can't use it, it's crap, like the temperature profiles off, you know, it's not the same. But, you know, what it comes out to is, you can't just plop it one to one and say, this is going to be the exact same thing, let's process it the same way, let's handle it the same way. And I think that evolution has been very slow. But I think by work, you know, some of the work that you were doing, um, and stuff like that, I think that's started to help other people realize, you know, actually it's just as viable. You just can't treat it the exact same way as you would coming, you know, straight from your your material supplier. Yeah, every material has different, like a molding parameters right. or <laughs> optimized uh, molding parameters. So if you just use the same one, it may not work, but like you have to tweak, optimize, and then use it. So, yeah. And I love, I love that, you know, you're saying, your opportunities at Lyft are basically, you know, you're you're talking about sustainability from a transportation end, but then you're also coming to it from, you know, the material end of things. So you're kind of double sustainability -ing. Is that a word? Yes. Is that a phrase so, we're going to yeah, go absolutely, with now? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So um uh, like we are trying to be as much 
sustainable as possible. Um, in terms of uh, for metals, we use recycled metals. For plastics, we are trying to use recycled plastics. Uh, one big caveat is like our bikes and scooter is like an like next like five to ten years it will stay outdoor. It has to survive high heat, high humidity. It has to survive low temperature, Chicago and New York weather. Um, and it has to survive UV. Um, it has to survive all the chemical exposures, salt and everything. So we are we are taking a very cautious approach, uh, making sure that like we understand the characterization of the strength and the impact properties of the plastics um uv characterization over the five and ten years life um because as i mentioned like our bike is designed for 10 years uh to make it more sustainable uh and and that's why we are taking a very cautious approach uh and we are working heavily uh to implement the recycled plastics into into our bikes and scooters and stations well, I can say Mercedes and I um, do love an electric scooter, uh, maybe a little irresponsibly so, but <laughs> but since they're in Chicago, Mercedes, I feel like I have to come visit you and then Absolutely. we can we can test the product for you in the field. So. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, well, the, the new the new one, the one that um, the one that Lyft uh, launched, I think, in 2021, that won Time Magazine's top 100 innovations of, yeah. of um because it it, it goes it has like up to 60 miles of range right so that's twice the previous models so they have them in chicago now yeah. right yeah because yeah. yeah. i saw yeah. i was complete i was i was so mad because i was trying <laughs> to get downtown and here comes this little lift bike that's just zooming past all <laughs> the traffic I was like ah <laughs> boiled again yeah. So obviously there's, you know, a lot of innovation here, but what do you think is the real importance of micro mobility where, where we live, um, where people are so car fixated? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that, that is a wonderful question. And I want to say like um, e-bikes are very, very helpful. Um, usually like when you compare e-bikes versus classic bikes, like pedal bikes, um, pedal bikes are like you, you still have to pedal there is no ESS. so um your the distance you cover through pedal bikes are limited um but like what we have found uh through our study is like when you have e-bikes it actually replaces some of your car trips which are like two to three miles or four miles uh that you cannot walk you cannot pedal uh, so you usually used to take a, a car uh, to go that distance. But with the introduction of the e-bikes with a larger battery capacity, uh, you can actually go that mile within a very short time. So that was that was great. Um, and with the larger battery pack, we are making it more sustainable because now like our warehouse technicians doesn't have to come to the stations to replace the, the batteries more frequently. Uh, so you, you don't have to. Um, and also it has higher safety standards such as hydraulic brakes. We used hydraulic brakes in, in those e-bikes, um, which actually hydraulic brakes are used for mopeds and uh, other uh, like a mobility uh, transportation devices. Um, and then another big one was um, we have a retro reflective paint in this bike that was PPG 
uh, our partnership with PPG developed this paint and it is and it's a powder coating paint usually like a liquid paint is available but powder coating is the first time that we PPG has developed for lift and then it's the first product that came into the market with a retro reflective paint so uh, at night, it's actually light is reflecting on you, so it is has more rider safety. Uh, so that is that is wonderful, and that's one of the reason it was named as a Time Magazine's best innovation in 2021. Uh, it has GPS technology, so we exactly know where the bike is located. Um, a lot of our riders keep the bikes in different places, so we we exactly have to locate those bikes as well. Um, but like shared micro mobility or e-bikes are important because that promote like a sustainable transportation, um, reduce traffic congestions, re reduce the number of um, cars from the street, and um, are accessible to many many people. Uh, and and then Lyft has their app that is more easily like you, know, you can you can access the bike much more easier. Just scan the QR code, you're done. And then biking has a lot of health benefits improves it's fun actually this year we also have introduced like a a group biking project that is sometimes your family comes in and then so they also want to try and bike at the same time together you can actually use your app to unlock bikes for others as well so that helps to make it a lot make it that ride much more fun and and making sure that these are like a sustainable transportation, reducing the carbon footprint as well. Yeah, I love, you know, the whole group can go together and make it an event. Well, that was like us, an event. That was like us. We, we, were, we were a family riding together and it was so much fun. <laughs> also, I want to add here um, is uh, one of our new station that is going to be launched very soon as well called Pillar. We already introduced it. That also gives us an opportunity to charge our batteries while the bikes are in dock position. So, um, so now if we can implement like in, in the, by the end of this year, we will see like the bikes when they are docked into that pillar station, uh, the battery is going to be charged by itself. It involves a huge infrastructure because now that you have to connect to the grid as well uh, to make the bikes more charged, but that helps the sustainable story into the next level because now the our warehouse technician doesn't have to go to the station like more frequently than uh, what they are doing right now um, so larger battery pack reduces the number of trips and with the electrification of our station we'll eventually like get rid of or reduce as much as possible their trips so we are we are working towards more sustainable way to improve our e-bikes and the whole uh, e-station like a strategy as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I've yeah. seen the, you know, the videos that I think they published like two months ago on the Pilar charging stations, they're beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Were you able to work on that project as well? Yes, yes, we are heavily involved in that project. Yeah, so we are, we are currently working on uh, improving that. So Definitely. It's currently in the NPI phase, uh, but we announced it uh, as soon as we, we locked down all the features and features works and everything. So 
And I love that that the bikes are designed to last 10 years, you know, in, in outdoors in multiple different riders who probably aren't going to be taking as good care of, <laughs> of yeah. a shared bike, a shared, you know, micro mobility devices as they might their own, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so you'd mentioned at the beginning of the conversation you that trying to get it to reflect the field usage model. Can you, for some of our big nerd listeners like me, can you talk about that lab and the the types of yeah. tests? Some of the fun ones. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is one of my fun places to be. The lab is called Lift Micro Mobility Lab. It is in the uh, Portero Hill in San Francisco. So where we break stuff. Uh, try to understand different failure modes. Obviously, like when the bikes are in the field, they have to go through like uh, high temperature, low temperature, salty atmosphere in Chicago in the winter time, and also like a like UV lights. And then when they're in the ride, they go through like a vibration shock because they go to the potholes, they slam. Again, Chicago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, they slam into the uh, into the into the sidewalk and all the stuff. So yeah, we have to really um, ponder upon like what is the exact usage model. So when and and then the, our bikes has all those technologies that give us the opportunity to dig into the data in like in terms of like a vibration frequency, what is the G level, uh, what temperature it receives, uh, whether data is readily available, but the other data is like um, how many times uh, like the CTs have been adjusted, how many times there is a breaking event, from what speed does it come? So in our lab, uh, we have all those great tools to validate the the bikes. We start from a component level, um, then slowly go into the critical module level. And we have a full bike tester where we put the whole bike into a, two drums. Uh, and then we can actually simulate pothole. We can simulate like a bumps. We can simulate different speed. We can simulate like a different rider loads on the saddle. And then hard brake, soft brake, all those stuff. So start from, so that's why I'm saying like we are involved in an end-to-end um, reliability, starting from a very component selection. Like we do a lot of paper qual, trying to understand whether it can survive the outdoor environment. Then when we, it comes to the critical module, we do some kind of rel testing, going through the all these different corner cases so that it can survive like 10 years of life. And we heavily involved in like wable modeling, which uh, gives us the opportunity to understand whether this accelerated data is meaningful for uh, 10, seven to 10 years of life or not. So, and definitely all these opportunities, um, like testing in house saves us a lot of money because I remember like end of last year, we, we were doing a freeze and thaw testing. So which says like the, the snow comes into the our product and then it melts and then it again thaws. So like so, a, an April in Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And then at the time we didn't have the, the resource in-house. So we looked at a few of the third party and one of the quotation was around 85K. So that was a quite a bit like just for one one time testing, but we, 
with our dedicated lab team, a, a, we have a machinist who is very helpful. We developed similar kind of test setup under 5K. So that's a huge benefit of having a dedicated lab team and also um, dedicated uh, in-house machinist. Uh, and also the lab is very, very uh, like a, it's, it's a self-sustaining. Currently, we have a vibration machine, salt chamber, uh, high temperature, high humidity, which can also go to low temperature, temperature swing. We can do like a full bike testing, as I mentioned. Uh, we have a tensile testing machine where we do all sorts of like a materials testing as well. And then definitely we can do some other module testing such as like a seat clamp cycling, braking, and all those uh, crank arm testing. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very fun place to be. Uh, there was a couple of articles and uh, also a, like a nice cool one minute YouTube video as well um, that shows us, show our lab to rest of the world. So yeah, um, that's one of my fun place to be. <laughs> I love, I love that, you know, you took the testing that, you know, could be traditionally done at an outside lab that does all the testing and, you know, brought it in and kind of catered it to what you need it for. Because uh, when I was in college, I remember Brian Young constantly said, uh, you know, the best testing is the end use of what it's going to be used for. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked as, you know, oh, well, there's this standard, let's just test it to this standard. And well, you know, and that's great, you should meet your standards of whatever you need. But um, I think the the functionality and the end use is really where you're going to see, you know, any of your your weaknesses or your strengths or be able to improve. And I, I really love that you guys take that to the next level. Yeah, the, the primary core of our teams and our uh, like elite hardware teams uh, motive is to design for sustainability. So that means uh, like we follow the three R technology, reduce reuse and recycle. So reduce, like we, we try to reduce as many failures as possible to extend the life. Uh, reuse, like we want to make sure that we reuse from metals and plastics from different sources. Uh, and uh, also some, and, and recycle, like we have a partnership um, with, with Redwood Materials in, in, in very close to us, uh, where we recycle our batteries to them. So, so that like all the rare art metals get re reused in, in a different technology. So, uh, so that's, that's, uh, we are always trying to find new opportunities to understand how we can contribute to the circular economy, uh, not on the linear economy. And also just thinking, you know, thinking about that, some of those things that you said of, you know, e-bikes enable replacement of shorter car trips, like three to four miles, you know, and thinking back, you know, Chicago is a great place for bikes because it's flat. But my hometown, yeah. San Francisco, I had a bike that I never took out because you can get like a block or two before you hit a massive yeah. hill and just have to walk it up. Oh, it's sure. fun going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I really see, especially in those kind of topographies where micro mobility can be a huge force for sustainability. Yes, uh, the e-bikes, e-scooters are will be a uh, like a, a monumental like a approach for all the cities to be more sustainable. Europe is much more friendlier to those micro mobility devices, uh, but like US is also getting in there. We are constantly working with different cities trying to convince them 
And as we go further, you will see more and more cities approach that take that approach of micromobility devices in their city. One of the biggest uh, problem is like a how these devices are located in the street. And that's where city doesn't like, where a dockless system actually is 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 messier. And here we have a, a very docking strategy system, which, which looks the city much more cleaner, which also has the charging capability. So yeah, so I, I would say like uh, in future, we will have a better opportunity um, working with the different cities with, with our docking strategy. Uh, and making sure that e-bikes and e-scooters are everywhere. And one big advantage of our docking strategy is like the same station can dock like e-bikes and e-scooters at the same location. So you don't have to go for a different scooter for a different station. And uh, also like you can also get bikes from the same dock station. So yeah, those are the the future looking approach as well. Oh, that makes sense. And thinking back to, I guess, San Francisco had a lot of forethought when they, they outlawed segways in San Francisco back in the day, specifically for that reason, thinking that they were going to mm-hmm. clutter up the streets. So I love the approach that you're taking. I love this uh, new innovation with the Pillar uh, charging docks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we're about out of time, but this has been a lovely conversation. I wish we could. I wish we could. <laughs> yeah, time just flew. Can't wait to uh, to finally get on one of those uh, one of those new bikes. Here in- when we do, I will go visit Mercedes. We will ride one together, and then we will we'll let you know. We'll Facetime you. Yeah, <laughs> while, we're, while we're streaming absolutely. down the street, absolutely. <laughs> or at least absolutely. share our GPS location. Yeah, <laughs> someone can yes. find us. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. This was such a great conversation, and I mean, like I said, I'm really looking forward to riding an e-scooter, e-bike. I'm always in. Absolutely, you're most welcome. Any okay. any city, uh, you can come and can ride the big ones. All right. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Skidmore, and I'd like to share with you SPE Certificate in Leadership. In this program, participants learn about essential leadership and management principles, such as organizational culture, financial intelligence, strategic planning, innovation, and more. They learn how to apply strategies and tools to their team, their department, and organization. This program is unique because participants will be learning alongside a cohort of other folks with in the plastics industry through this virtual offering. I invite you to visit 4SPE.org to learn more about the certificate in leadership and to apply for an upcoming cohort. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh, plastics.